So we're talking about purity, is that right? Challenging subject. Is the uh, Woolworths in Hobart still called Purity? No. No. But it was. Strange name, really. Yeah. Everything in Tassie, you know, they go for that whole, it's pure, it's clean. Like the Bogues ad, mm. where everything that goes in the water comes out better. <laughs> the guy pushes his girlfriend. Girlfriend did. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast that's rated M for Marty. <laughs> he is prone to some gratuitous outbursts every now and then, possibly uh, some profane language, uh, particularly at people in authority making stupid decisions. Yep. Only occasionally though, isn't it, Marty, and they do deserve it? Well, we are accountable for our decisions, are we not? <laughs> you saying some aren't. Well, on another note, we got a. Um, I just saw this saw this recently. There's a review of our podcast on on Apple Podcasts or whatever, which is great. It says amazing! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Five stars. As a new to the faith woman, this podcast has helped me beyond words. I've listened to every single episode, and these men, along with their guests, have really helped me on my journey to God. Cannot wait for new episodes. Thank you. I don't know if you guys like. Go and check this. You're probably not. You're probably I even. I less... wasn't aware that you could. Well, yeah. There you go. I mean, I wasn't. I just happened to happen to find it because I was, you know, gratuitously looking us up. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just thought you might like to like to know that. So keep it up, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Marty. Yeah. Hey, Father Dave. Hey, to Sam. Yeah, well, I've just flown in from Melbourne. They went into lockdown today. Uh, for those living in Victoria, you may remember this. By the time this podcast out, remember back to when suddenly you went into five days lockdown? Well, that's today. I was at a school in Melbourne. It was announced at lunchtime we're going into lockdown. I've gone back to the airport. I've flown back to Tassie. I'm sitting in my four-wheel drive at the service station outside Launceston Airport now. If I disappear for five minutes, by the way, it's because I've gone in there because there's a pie face shop as part of this <laughs> servo. Yeah, we got those. <laughs> I might just need to sneak in because it's getting close to dinner time. So just give us a signal so Marty can start a five-minute long rant and uh, <laughs> you can come back with a pie. Rum, 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 pie. Rum, rum, rum. Marty, would you like to introduce this podcast? Um, I do think it was your idea to go down this track. Well, it wasn't my idea. It was someone who rang me up and said... Oh, it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do an episode on purity, not the supermarket chain that used to exist in Tassie Hobart. before it became Woolworths. Well, it was Rolf Foss in Launceston. Oh, we there you go. That, we? Well, we're not talking about that either. Stick that in your um, podcast. So purity. So there's the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kick it off. Something I learned. St. Thomas Aquinas, somewhere in that really big book that he wrote. Summa Theologica. Yep. Mentions that. It's important for everyone to fight against impurity. And the, one, of the, one of the reasons he gave is if you're in a battle, you've got to fight the enemy that's closest first, which made mm. a lot of sense. Mm. You know, you can't, you, you can't aim for the guy holding the standard over on the hill because you've got to get there. So you've got to defeat the enemies closest to you, which also tells me that urges to impurity are not a new thing, despite there maybe being a proliferation of temptation these days. It's been going on for a long time. One of the interesting things on this is that this is a particularly Christian word. 
And I think for people who have grown up in Christian circles or had some sort of formation in the life of discipleship, it makes sense. But for the average person living in secular Australia or, you know, fill in whichever country you're in, it means nothing. I can't remember where I was. I was talking in a school group or something and someone had mentioned about living a pure life. And this young kid just said, what's that? Mm. But I, I suddenly realized, you know, how hard it is to explain this to someone who doesn't have the Christian framework of morality or even the, the understanding of the dignity of the human person. If you're coming from a worldview which is purely just about pursue pleasure and hopefully don't hurt people in the, in the process, then it's even kind of hard to even know where you're beginning. Mm. And I think also, now I can't remember whether it was St. Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine. I do have a feeling it was St. Thomas Aquinas who said that we are all naturally drawn towards joy and pleasure. And if we are unable to find that in God, we will find it in carnal pleasure. As in, we're all pursuing joy or pleasure in some way. And if we don't find it in mm. God's love, uh, in that relationship with Christ, we're still going to pursue it in some way. Mm. Um, and I, I like that as a, as a definition of purity in that we're all aiming at something that's quite similar. But in that revelation of God's love for us, we can miss that mark. There isn't a purity in that, in that vision or that lived experience of what we are pursuing. And, and I think that's a good starting point because it only makes sense if you've experienced something more pure than what you're currently consuming. You know, mm. like if, if, mm. if you met someone who always drank muddy water and you said that's wrong, they'd say, well, why? You know, what's wrong with it? You know, are you judging me? You know, like, <laughs> yes. how, how can I be? How can I be a bad person for drinking muddy water? It's only when you introduce them to pure water, and they're like, "Ah, oh, tastes so much better." I understand. What that, I'm missing when out. I was a manager on youth mission team Melbourne, we had the youth mission team down here in Tasmania, and we stopped down in Hewenville at a little orchard, bought some apples, and we drove on. And one of the team members bit into an apple. And all of the team members in the van were sprayed with apple juice. It was that <laughs> it was that crispy. And the team members couldn't, they kept eating, they ate the whole bag of apples. They couldn't get over how sweet, how crispy, and how flavoursome that, these That happened to me were. once. I was down the same way, down Hewenville Way, um, doing a property deal for a pipeline we were building, talking to a farmer, and, and he gave me an apple off the tree, golden delicious. And I don't really like apples, but this apple, this was a, this was amazing. This was this was different to all the apples I've ever bought from a supermarket. It hadn't was been delicious. Green. Hadn't been picked green. Hadn't put. Hadn't been put in cold storage. And it had this. It had like <laughs> a slight dew on the outside. It was early in the morning. Oh. <laughs> Take him back there. <laughs> the idea of purity isn't one of simply abstaining from bad things it's an embracing of of the best of the best yeah. Yeah. or even being out of like there's, there's a sense you could say that there's actually no such thing as bad things there's good things that we use badly like god's never created something bad when we even when we talk about the vices you know you know people getting caught up with money or drugs or alcohol or whatever 
there's there's a sense in which you know we're we're taking God's creation, but then just using it badly, um, mm. trying to mm. fill our emptiness in this desperate attempt to satisfy our hunger, but we end up missing the true beauty of it. When we experience creation, we're actually meant to encounter the Creator in the process, and I think that's particularly the case in terms of human relationships. You know, when we talk about an impure relationship or, you know, looking at someone impurely, it's looking at the person purely as something to satisfy your hunger and missing the real beauty and mystery of who they are and Mm. who their creator is. And wanting them to serve your needs as opposed to that deep desire to lay our lives down for them. Which is the real deeper joy of relationship. Yeah. Mm. I think a lot of this comes back to, you know, Garden of Eden. When... Adam and Eve were first created, they looked around the garden and all they saw was God's gift. And and their eyes were able to see beyond the surface and actually see God when they looked at creation and they worshiped God and praised God for that. As soon as they were tempted, it it says that their eyes were opened. And and this is the bit that fascinates me because I think this is my personal interpretation, but I I think- I can can feel the controversy coming on. Just in case there's any scripture scholars out there that want to throw something at me. But Carry uh, on. <laughs> their eyes are open to their own emptiness, you know, which, which is yeah. the only thing they'd never seen before. And from that point on, the only thing they ever see is their own emptiness. And so they, they now look at each other and all they see is their own emptiness and that thing of, well, how can you fill that? And so suddenly there's manipulation and power games and this constant using of each other. And the same thing with creation. We, we look at creation as like, how can I use this to fill me? Mm. That's the essence of impurity. You know, we, we end up not actually seeing the gift anymore. We, and we can't see the, the love that's being communicated through that gift. Father Dave, is it in Psalms or is it Proverbs? I think Psalms. God refining us like, uh, like a piece of silver in the furnace. Or piece of gold in the furnace. I think that's in the Psalms. Oh, it's an image used in a number of spots throughout the Old Testament. And there's a bit yeah. of background to that, which I don't think we really appreciate. Before modern technology furnace and stuff, to refine gold, the guy refining the gold would heat it up and it'd become a liquid. And there'd be black stuff on top. All the impurities come up. They'd scrape that off and they'd keep going until the guy refining it could see his own reflection in the gold. And then he'd know that it's that all the impurities have come out and it's pure. And if you think about that of God refining us mm. and refining us and refining us until when he looks at you, he sees his own reflection, that's the fullness of heaven. And mm. they had to have the metal in the hottest part of the flame where it required the smith to never take his eyes off what was being purified. Mm. So it's a constantly there in that process. Mm. So I was doing a little bit of research in my... Uh, my one textbook, Me Christianity, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis does point <laughs> out that Christian uh, chastity is the most unpopular of all the virtues. St. Augustine, oh Lord, make me chaste. Just not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the, um, what do you say, the sins of the flesh aren't the worst kind of sins. I think that's worth pointing out. If you look at Dante's Inferno, the, the very top layer of hell were those involved with sins of the flesh and sexual sins. As you got further down, people got more and more evil. I would say they were still in hell, but it wasn't it wasn't the worst <laughs> bit. And similarly, on when he moved on to Mount Purgatory, the, the bottom rings were associated with the sins of the flesh and 
And as you got as you got further up, the refining got more serious, I suppose. Would that be because there is a brokenness associated with it? Yeah, I think. Well, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis explained it, saying there's <laughs> there's the world and the flesh and and the devil sort of trying to attack you, and the the, the worst sins are sins where you're really becoming diabolic in you know seeking other people's harm and stuff for your own gain and, and this kind of thing rather than being taken away by your natural sort of desires so that sort of made sense to me but i think it's a question of whether you want to embrace that you know animal side as a soul and body composite as rational animals which i think a lot of our society would have embraced they don't quite say in these words but you're an animal i live on a farm the number yeah. of times I hear people use the excuse, well, certain animal populations do this, therefore it's okay. The stuff I see on the farm day in, day out, I'm sorry, most of that, a human does it, you go to jail. Please do yeah. not ever use that as, a, as an excuse for human behaviour. There are yeah. so many things animals do that are just utterly <laughs> unacceptable. Um, yeah, this is like your dog that, you know, licks its own butt and then you know licks your hand and you go well should we emulate that as well it's a it's a perfectly natural thing that dogs do there are so many examples you could have given i don't know if any of them should have been said <laughs> only got one animal that's not a human in my house true it is a interesting thing in terms of our sense of morality because there, there's often been this sense that if it's normal then it must be moral and you go back to some of the uh founders of the sexual revolution people like Alfred Kinsey, and they, they were very much yeah. operating this idea that if, if they could prove statistically that certain behaviours were common within society, therefore we should accept them. Now, of course, he twisted the uh, scientific research significantly and as, you know, no one accepts his research ever since because of that. However, we still accept the uh, results of his research that these things are normal. But that premise would be true if humans weren't fallen. Exactly. But considering we are, we're all twisted. <laughs> yeah. And we, we end up uh, trying to justify the behaviours we want to be moral. Yeah. Murder is actually very common. Uh, you could easily say that it's normal, but we don't really want that going on. No. So instead, we are created in the image and likeness of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, Trinity, who are in, in love with one another in such a way that is beyond our ability to understand and that is what we are called to so in purity in the way that we love one another and in the way we love ourselves we are called into that image and likeness or as marty you said earlier into that reflection of hmm. god of the trinity hmm. so what does that look like well i think uh, pope john paul ii summed it up in the simplest way he, he wrote this book called love and responsibility back when he was still bishop and he very simply said to love means to not use somebody and I think that's a really important definition because as, as he goes on, this is partly about relationships, you know, and sexuality, but it's even broader than that. It, it comes into issues of the workplace that you can so easily use somebody and that's actually like an impurity. Anytime you... Well, even if you're paying them. Well, if, if you're intentionally choosing not to recognise their dignity because they're useful to you, Yes. You know, so, you know, I'm going to use your strength and ignore the fact that I'm asking you to do something that's unsafe. I'm not loving you. I'm using you, mm -hmm. you know, or if I'm driving you to work long hours at for the sake of the family. company. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's an interesting definition because it's so much broader than just around sexual morality. Yeah. And I think we start to realize that actually this is a massive problem. <laughs> you know, we, we're constantly using people. 
And so God's calling mm. us back to love as he would love. You know, how do we now see the whole person, not just the useful parts of them? Mm. Which is a very big part of our society. We spend a good portion of our lives being rated, being oh. assessed, being, uh, <laughs> being shown where we need to improve and to what end. Mm. I just have the same things on my performance review every year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the would you like to do a performance review for Sons of Thunder? Awesome. <laughs> Carry on. Whoever wrote that comment from earlier on, maybe we get them to do it. Is that okay? Yeah, that'd, that'd be more articulate. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> yeah. In our last episode, Marty, you used the terminology, it's what the fans want. If we're going to talk about purity, we do have to. I, mean, I know we have set that broad net there, which, which we have to, because often it does focus solely on sexuality. But we also gonna have we have to actually talk about that because this is where it I think it hurts mm. more than anything if we're not feeling fulfilled. It's personal. And it is it is where it it's what we care about. Well, I think if you like any other if you start with the commandments, right? Which which we talked about before, you know, the commandments are in place because they're the designer's instructions of of us of how to end up being happy you know they're not it's not really a you know draconian laws you know thou shalt not kill because i said so it's 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 more because it's bad for you and it's bad for them if you do kill people for example i think that flows into these you know the moral teachings of the church go back to the beatitude where jesus says blessed are the pure in heart they shall see god they're blessed and you get to see god and i think those those rules are in place really because that's good for you it's good for me it's good for us to be controlled in our in our sexuality it's an amazing line to ponder to prayerfully meditate on actually we do need to do an episode on this father dave at some point on prayerful meditation mm. uh but that that line that the pure in heart will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think it also implies that at the end of purgatory, you must have a pure heart because I think if you don't, you can't see God. So, well, see, I, I would flip the line around backwards. Say, blessed are the, those those who can see God are pure in heart. Mm. You know, so go back to that image I was using of the Garden of Eden. Originally, Adam and Eve looked at creation and they saw God. They saw their creator. If you think of it like the image of, a, so someone gives you a birthday present, there are three things you can see when you look at that birthday present. Like you can look at the visible and just see the wrapping paper and say, oh, that's wonderful. You gave me wrapping paper. But we've learned that there's actually a gift hidden within. So you could squeeze it. <laughs> so yeah, you, you, you feel it, you like, you know, shake it. And, you, and but like you, you want to open the wrapping paper because you realize as beautiful as the wrapping paper is, it's nothing compared to what's actually hidden within. Let's hope so. You hope so. It might just be socks. <laughs> but it then takes a, a significant level of maturity to be able to see beyond the present and see the person who's giving it to you. You know, So you give a present to a two-year-old, they're going to tear the wrapping paper off and go into the corner and play with the wrapping paper. You give the present to a 10-year-old and they're going to rip the wrapping paper off and play with the present. You would hope that by the time a person becomes an adult, they're actually going to realise that the present's not actually important, but they're able to see the love that it symbolises from the giver. 
Now think of that in terms of our relationship with creation and the world and other human beings. We get so caught up in the wrapping paper and and we're living in a society which is like this whole pornographic society, which is selling us the wrapping paper and saying that's all that's important. You know, we've Mm -hmm. got young men and women who are doing serious damage to themselves trying to work on their physical appearance because they believe that's the only part of them that's important. Part of this purity is firstly learning how to see the mystery of the person and of their soul. But then can you see the creator? And I think that's the end goal. Like if if you can get to the point where you look at someone and you realize, you know, this is a gift from God. You know, this is God revealing his love to me through this person. And I can genuinely rejoice and worship God for that. I think that's the benchmark. That's when you're pure in heart. You know, Mm. so as it says, you know, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's not just about the future. It's actually about now. Mm. And so really, I think the whole journey of purity is about being healed of our blindness, really. There's a story I heard years ago, and I I don't know how accurate this story is, take it for what it is, but uh, I quite like it. And it was in Rome, the Vatican, a heap of cardinals walking down the street together and a very extraordinarily attractive Italian woman walked past them and all the cardinals averted their eyes except for one who just stared straight at her and actually turned as she walked past and then he turned to the other cardinals and said oh my goodness did you see that woman how extraordinarily beautiful was she how amazing is god oh there's beauty everywhere and as the other cardinals talking about it afterwards that the first step is one of okay i don't want to be led into sin so averting your eyes. But then th- there needs to be a redemption in that of mm. then actually being able to simply face beauty and not desire it for ourselves, yeah. but to actually see beauty mm. and to see God and to see God's creation. And, and a big part of that is, you know, if, if you've really encountered the love of God in a way that satisfies the hunger of your soul, you know, because I think people look upon creation in a bad way because they're just trying to satisfy their hunger. You know, a little bit like if if you're absolutely starving and someone puts a hamburger in front of you, you won't even notice the hamburger because you'll have just thrown it down your throat as fast as you can. But if you're actually not that hungry, you can sit back and enjoy the flavor of it. Mm. And I think there is something about that in in relationships. Like I, I often say this to young young people who are dating and stuff. And I'm like, well, you've got to know god's love first otherwise you're not actually going to be encountering the other person properly like like you're just going to be trying to satisfy a hunger and you'll actually be blind to the real gift of who they are you know whereas if you've gone through a a depth of conversion yourself and and a real strong prayer life then you can actually engage with this in a way that you start to encounter the real mystery uh, as opposed to using the person to satisfy your hunger Hmm. about 15 years ago I was considering dating a particular girl and I was chatting to a friend of mine who's probably 10 years older than me and at the time, very much so further down his faith walk than myself. And I wasn't really sure whether I should or not. And I chatted to him about it and he posed one question, which at the time I thought was highly offensive. But in time, I began to realize how stunningly beautiful the question was. He asked me, what do you want to get out of the relationship? I thought it was a horrible question. What do I, I want to date the girl because she's pretty and I like her. But what do you want to get out of the relationship? No, didn't and you it hear? Was actually, she's hot. <laughs> it was forcing me to uh, 
to actually take a step back and look what the purpose of relationships are and to look at what my desires were in that moment, which was really confronting. Mm. And no, we didn't go out. Mm. It was a confronting question. Well, yeah, because you've got to have some clarity of what, what you're there for, what the purpose is. I, I can't remember who I, I heard it from recently. Someone was talking about the whole thing of ha- having a clear intention to marry when you start dating someone. And I was saying, if, if, you, if you're dating someone without any intention to get married, it's a little bit like going shopping without money. You're either going to steal something yeah. or walk away disappointed. Or both. <laughs> yes. Mm. Once again, we're in a whole culture which says, you know, just take what you want. Mm. Don't ask any questions, you know. Don't even worry about the fact that it may not be yours. You know, whereas, whereas actually this whole sense of purity is I'm, I'm working for your good and that might mean that I'm not meant to go out with you. You know, I'm actually meant to respect that you're meant for something else. Mm. Years ago, I heard either Christopher West or Jason Everett talking on theology of the body uh, and a student at a school asked the question of them, how far is too far? As in, I'm dating someone or I'm with someone, how far is too far? And his response was simply, imagine that that woman is not your wife, your future wife, and some other guy is out with your future wife. How far is too far? And at that point, <laughs> the students are all going, no, no, you know, just don't even kiss her. You know, they, they had this really strong idea of how far is too far. It wasn't very far at all. When it relates to other people, it's an easier question <laughs> to answer. <laughs> I, I did a thing with that when I was in Canberra training our novices. I, I think I was giving them a whole session on chastity and the Christian vision of relationships. And and I, I saw someone had given me a block of chocolate that, that day. So I broke it up and I went around and put a block of chocolate on everyone's desk. And, and as I did that, I said, don't touch it. You know, don't touch it. Don't touch it. And, and this kind of drove them crazy because, you know, it's, it's late in the morning. And I said, you know, look at it. You can smell it, but you're not allowed to touch this chocolate. And I then proceeded to give a whole hour-long lecture. And you could see these guys were getting like driven crazy. <laughs> but there was almost this sense of like, if we're good little boys at the end of the lecture, we'll get it. And at the end of the lecture, I then went around and collected up all the chocolate again. <laughs> and the look of disappointment in their faces, they were like, what? But then I basically said, you know, why did you assume the chocolate was yours? Mm. I gave it to you to protect it and look after it. And you did that well. And I thank you for that. And I'm now taking it back. And I basically said, you know, this is the case with so many women that are going to be in your life. Your hunger is going to tell you they're mine, whereas actually, no, they're not yours. And they're there for you to protect them and care for them, respect them, and then let them go on. St. Joseph, pray for us. Yeah. Amen. I mean, the other image I'd often use in terms of like healthy friendship, you know, if if you, and I can do this for you guys because we're on Zoom, but if you sort of put a pen in your hand, you, you, you can hold that two ways. You can, you can grasp it and wrap your fingers around it, or you can hold it lightly, you know, with your palm open. And I think that's a good image of Christian friendship because, once again, we, we live which, in a society which says... You which know, way does some, the pen like it better? Well, if you assume the pen is a person, yep. we live in a society which says if, some, if something's given to you, it's yours. You know, grasp mm. hold of it, it you possess it, whereas... This whole thing of, you know, to love means to not use. It actually means to say, you know, you're actually, you're a free person with dignity. I don't possess you. If you come into my life, I hold on to that lightly. And if you leave, then okay, 
you know, that's the gift God gave me. And then God takes it away. You know, whereas I think there's a real trap in dating where we want to grasp hold of a person and not let go. We want them to satisfy every need in our life. And, and once again, we're, we're actually using them. Um, Sometimes it's away not just freedom. the person that we want to grasp hold of, but a certain dream or vision. Mm. And this mm. person will help fulfill it mm. as opposed to loving the person. I did hear years ago at a summer school in the hallway at Bathurst Summer School. Uh, we're all standing around talking to Father Ken, who is Father Dave's moderator. Is that Yep, the founder of the Missionaries of God's Love. Of the Missionaries of God's Love. Uh, And someone posed the question. It was a genuinely heart-to-heart conversation. Everyone there was pretty young. Father Ken was a bit older. And they said, so how long do we have to go through life with these desires, you know, for, for sexual intimacy and that sort of thing? Like, when does it kind of go away? And Father Ken laughed and said, about five minutes after you die. Hmm. Okay. On that note, I've got a uh, C.S. Lewis quote, page 101. We may indeed be sure that perfect chastity, like perfect charity, will not be attained by any merely human efforts. You must ask for God's help. Even when you have done so, it may seem to you that for a long time that no help or less help than you need is being given. Never mind, after each failure, ask forgiveness, pick yourself up and try again. Very often, God's first help towards us is not the virtue itself, but the power of always trying again. Mm. Mm. And this is really important because, Marty, as a married man, it can be very easy for a single person to look at you and think, well, you've got everything. But really, is it easy to not eat the chocolate when there is no chocolate or when the chocolate's on your desk? It's a lot easier not to eat it when it's just not there. But if you've got someone like Father Dave and his sadistic teachings putting a piece of chocolate (laughs) on your desk and then not letting you eat it. As a married person, Marty, you're actually in a position where you probably have to rely on God's grace even more. I think it's really important that when you're single, you start learning learning now. Yeah, that's right. Because there's plenty of times, like most of the time, when you can't have exactly what you might want because there's another person involved who you don't want to use this kind of uh self-control the self-mastery that jesus wants to teach us is just really important and yeah gets more important when you're married i think that whole thing of preparing yourself well before you get married i think is so important because yeah i was talking to someone recently about all this you know he was saying you know i want to live a pure life but how I think this is where there's a real connection with the spiritual disciplines, you know, fasting, self-denial, and to see that as actually being like a training ground for your soul. Like it's sometimes said, you know, that the, the desires are like a spoiled child mm. where if you, if you give a child the chocolate or the ice cream, it knows that it just has to chuck a tantrum and it will get what it wants. And eventually you become its slave. You know, you, you end up serving the child. Any parent knows that at some point you've actually got to then do the hard work of regaining control and yep. saying no and learning how to say no. And you, you realize that as you say no, the tantrum is going to get louder and it's going to happen in the most public, embarrassing places possible. Confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually the kid is going to grow up and realize, well, at least you hope so, that uh, they're going to learn to control their desires. And, and we've basically got to do this with ourselves, you know. So, you know, I've met so many people who say, you know, I tried fasting, but it was too hard. I don't think it's for me. 
it's exactly the point isn't it (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna you're going into a battle with yourself i heard i heard one exactly that saying fasting like it's no good for us because we like attached to food okay who isn't attached to food (laughs) (laughs) but the whole thing is you're actually meant to be aware of the battle you know like if if you say you're going to give up beer for a week by day three there's going to be so many justifications coming up as to why you need to have beer you convince yourself that it's got all the necessary vitamins and antioxidants and you're supporting poor farmers and but that's that's the voice same as the same the same energy as one egg and one chop yes and you're saving water in the process i'm sure by drinking beer (laughs) but that's the voice of the child who controls your life and that's the same child who is going to probably stuff up your marriage because you're going to then transfer that same immaturity into the most sacred and important relationship in your life. And this is why so many marriages fail because, you know, physically they're adults, but emotionally and spiritually they're children. Mm. So also want to just harp on how important it is to ask Jesus for what you need. To be blunt and to be bluntly honest. Yeah. That. So I struggle. I, I struggle with this, whatever it is, and I don't want to. And I want you to take it away. I want you to fix it for me. I can't fix it. And just to be honest about that, and to to pick yourself up when you fall, and being being gentle with yourself, and knowing that God, who loves you certainly more than you do or anyone else does, would would also be gentle with you. But at the same time, beg Him for His changing you into a new creation but i think also be very aware of how god does that you know because because we like to think of god as santa claus or the genie in the bottle who's just going to take it away magically whereas the way god actually operates is if you pray for courage he's going to put you in situations where you're afraid Mm. if you if you pray for humility he's going to put you in situations where probably the opposite temptation is going to hit you and so if you pray for purity you're actually going to learn that by having to step into the ring and, and fight the battle. Yeah. It's not like God's going to magically take away the desires because he doesn't want to take away the desire. He wants to purify it and direct it the place it's meant to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, it's, not to, it's not to punish you. The desire is not to punish you. The desire has mm-hmm. a, a fulfillment a in God. Yeah. Like I, I've spoken to young guys who say, you know, this is unfair. Why did God give us such a strong sexual desire? You know, surely he's the one responsible for tempting us. And I'd say to them, well, look, the reason you've got such a strong desire is because you are made for eternity. You're made to be Mm. dwelling in infinite love. And so that desire is actually like almost like the rocket ship taking you to heaven, but you've got to direct it to the the right place. You've got to direct Um, it to heaven. Well, yeah. I, I was watching a talk by Christopher West where he actually used that image and he said, you know, Sexuality is meant to take you into an encounter with the Trinity, but society has directed that rocket ship down to the ground, you know, and then we wonder why we crash. So, so much of this is it's not about taking away the desire. It's about directing it to the right place. Um, I'll never forget that. I mean, I've never heard that talk, but Christopher West talks about sexuality as a rocket. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, look it up online. It's like an hour long talk. I think it's, called Theology of the Body, The New Evangelization, and something else. There's like three things in the title. But it, it's right. a seriously good talk. But I, but I think what he's trying to say is that all these desires in us 
are not bad. They're just directed in the wrong place. I and, think and these ones, as opposed to some other weaknesses you might have, for example, if you were stingy, you should combat that by going out of your way to give money to try and teach yourself to overcome it. Mm. Sexual sins is a different, you don't, you don't like jump into these places where I'm tempted in order to combat it. You, you avoid it. You know, that's, that's a different sort of strategy. Yeah. I was just looking up before we started a couple of saints, Francis and Benedict, who were both big saints, big saints, tempted to these sins of the flesh. Francis ran out into the snow to, to you know, get frostbite or something to, to in order to take these temptations away. Benedict went and jumped in a, a bush of nettles or something in order to get scratches all over himself to replace these temptations with, with pain so he would no longer be tempted about it. I don't think those extremes are probably necessary for most people, but if you're serious about it, what are you doing to set up a system where you mm-hmm. avoid temptation, you know? I'm talking about, you know, do you need an accountability partner? Do you need passwords on your phone to, you know, to lock out access to bad sites? There's all sorts of things you can do. And I just want to say, if, if you don't do any of those things to protect yourself. And not much will change. Then not much will change. And if you find yourself in that situation, you go, oh, it's not working. You go, well, what are you doing to enable yourself to be in a situation where you can get out of it? And for I- anyone who's... Go Father Dave. I was just going to say, so very often when I'm asked to help guys in this, you know, I'd I'd say key things is, okay, firstly, avoid the situation of temptation. Check. Done. Yep. You've then then actually got to go through a process of fighting against that desire for comfort, you know. So, Mm. and and I think this is particularly important for young guys. I, I don't know how this goes with women, but... There is, there is this boyish tendency to always go for the comfort. And, yep. and stuff like self-denial and, and fasting is important. Um, mm. I remember it was a Franciscan priest who had spent time in the U.S. Marines. And uh, he, his, his advice to a bunch of young guys, he was saying, every night before you go to bed, kneel on your hands and pray three Hail Marys for the grace of purity. Mm. Now, I've, I've passed that advice on for years in confession and I've, and I've had so many guys come back saying, you know, I've kicked the, ha- you know, pornography or I've kicked, you know, masturbation or whatever. So I so, say you know, it works, you know, cause it, cause it's something about choosing to actually man up and, and choose the hardship. Yep. And it's going against that tendency to just curl into the place of comfort and nurturing and, you know, just look after your own needs. Yeah. I think that's exactly what we've seen in exit. I'm doing Exodus again this year. Not that I wanted to, cause it's hard. This is but Exodus 90. Exodus 90. But yep. the other people in my group convinced me to. So anyway, and it's exactly that. Taking on things you don't want to take on, cold showers, daily scripture readings, giving up things you don't want to give up, alcohol, eating between meals. Sweets. Sweets, desserts for 90 days. No beer, no desserts. Social, social media. Marty's off Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that one was easy for me. But it's exactly that. So taking right. on, instead of um just living this life of comfort. Oh, I feel it's uh, an hour till lunchtime. I might just go make myself a sandwich before uh, before the real meal starts going, well, actually, how about you don't? <laughs> and ultimately, if you push on with it, it's habit forming. We say, I don't, I don't need, I don't need comfort continuously. I can, uh, I can put up with, I can put up with less than that. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's really, really important. And, and, and ultimately, it, it just leads to you being able to make decisions about what you're doing, not being dragged around by your passions. So once your passions work for you, instead of you working for them, you can mm. be a real human. That's right. So the third bit of advice I'd, I'd throw in is learn how to see the people differently. Um, mm. I, remember, I remember it was another young guy who was talking to, uh, I think it was on one World Youth Day I went to, and he was basically saying, whenever you look at a beautiful woman, say three prayers. You know, you, you want to pray for every man who meets her, that they will treat her with the respect and dignity she, dignity she deserves. Pray for her future husband, that he'll res- treat her with respect and dignity. And pray for her, for her that she'll come to know her true dignity in the eyes of God. And I think it's actually really powerful because by the time you get to the end of those three prayers, you are now looking at a human being with a future and hurts and all sorts of deeper longings rather than just something that can an satisfy object. your own. Yeah, an object. Yeah, it's um, harder to use people that you're praying for. Exactly. You know, so simple thing to bring into your daily life. But I think you find it starts to train the way you see people very differently. Mm. Yeah. And the, 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 other, the, other th- the other thing in that, I, have, I always tell young guys, you actually got to look at women in the eyes and be aware of the emotion that's there. It was a guy I was actually studying with years ago. He was, he was doing a couple of theology units, but he was also working in a factory. And he was saying the lunchroom was filled with pornography. And, you know, he'd try really hard not, not to look at anything. But this one day, one of the other workers came in and caught him looking at this picture. And they all, you know, cheered. And they're like, oh, we've got you now. You know, you're now one of the boys. And he said, no, no, look at her eyes. And this guy's what? You know, no, no, look at the eyes. I mean, we never look at her eyes. She's got eyes? <laughs> and, he, and he said, no, she looks sad. You know, look at her. Mm. And they also and they said, oh, we, I don't think we want to look at that. But, but it was something about, you know, you, you actually start to engage in the humanity of the person. Mm. And, and I think particularly when advertising and, you know, movies and all the stuff on Netflix, like it, it is so heavily pornographic. Mm. Trying to find simple ways like that can actually just humanise the person. And, and help you on that internal battle. I think it's also important to humanise ourselves in those moments, in those, in those really big moments of temptation. And I'm talking about you are five seconds away from, you've actually already reached for your phone to look up pornography, or you, you've already started in your mind, and this equally applies to women, you know, you've, you've started that thought process. Mm-hmm. You, you're already there, you're on that cusp, that in that moment, we humanize ourselves by actually calling out to Christ, mm. calling out to God in those moments of, uh, I don't want to go down this path. Jesus, help me, please. Mm. Like, give me strength. I heard so many people say in that moment to particularly pray for the intercession of Our Lady, because that in of itself brings an extraordinary humanity as well as mm. the mm. grace of God. It's a, just even the meditation of that in that split second is quite confronting. The fourth bit of advice I'd always give to people is around self-knowledge in terms of understanding what's actually the trigger for the temptation. Because most of the time it's actually not, it's got nothing to do with sex. You know, go, go back to your example there, Marty, of making a sandwich an hour before lunch. Chances are you're not actually hungry. You're just bored Mm. or you just had a stressful phone call and you're trying to make yourself feel better. Most of the time, the initial trigger for the temptation comes back to, 
you know, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about the Holtz principle being H-A-L-T-S. So hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed. And, and they recognize that these are the five big triggers for someone to go and have a drink of alcohol. It but, applies to most things, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Anything which is going to self-medicate, you know, you feel bad. You just need a big dump of dopamine in whatever way you can get it. And so in terms of impurity, I think having that self-awareness that actually I've got to try and learn how to deal with those negative emotions. And that's going to help me avoid ever getting into that temptation in the first place. And again, coming back to St. John Paul II, and I know I've mentioned this previously, but I just think it's one of my favorite quotes from Theology of the Body that adversity allows our love to become beautiful, mm-hmm. to not be afraid of those moments, to not, to not do everything we can to avoid hunger or to avoid uh, situations where we are stretched because it is in those moments that we do learn to love. We learn to love ourselves. We learn to love those around us. But if we, we do, if we're not going to do it on our own. We do need to rely on God's grace in those moments. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and becoming, ultimately sort of becoming comfortable with discomfort. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Which is just a weird thing even to say those words in that way. But to be able to sit down and go, I don't, I'm not, this is not the best I can ever feel, but I'm just going to, you know, it doesn't need me to do anything to to change it. I can... Yeah, it's going to be the comfort we seek is going to be utterly insignificant when we come face to face with God, with what is on Mm. offer for eternity. The comfort that we could choose now is going to seem absolutely insignificant compared Mm. to eternity with God and relationship with Christ. Amen. Well, I, I, I think this is the key thing with the journey of purity is you've got to have a bigger reason to pursue purity. Like if, it, if it's purely just to be good with God and, you know, not sin, that's not going to be a good enough motivation in, in, in the, the heat of the battle. You need to set a long-term vision that, you know, I'm doing this now because it's going to make my marriage better in 20 years' time mm. or it's going to mean that I can truly love my kids properly. Like, like you say, the, the adversity you're going through is actually straight, stretching your capacity for love. It, it's strengthening your ability to love in difficult times. And so you can actually engage with the true beauty. Whereas, like, like, like we know, a, a child can't actually engage with the beauty of the world because they're just not able to encounter it. You know, they're, they're always looking for sugar. You know, they, they can't enjoy the, the subtlety of a good steak because they're just waiting for the ice cream. This is you sounding know? very much like The Matrix. Really? <laughs> Okay. There's a particular oh, scene where that's part of it. Oh, it's a long time ago I saw that. Anyway, but... um, Classic. Classic cinematography. I, I think most people have never actually encountered the true beauty of marriage. I don't... As a celibate, this is probably an arrogant statement to make, but... Don't let that stop you. <laughs> as a celibate, I could do it better. <laughs> In, to, to truly understand what love is, you, you've got to go beyond the idea that love is just the nice, sweet feeling. Like, like often the, the most profound experience of love is going to be when love is the most painful. Well, we, we've got a couple in the parish here who are about to celebrate their 67th anniversary. Wow. Yeah, that, that's impressive. Um, mm. But you look at these people, you know, like what they're experiencing of marriage is so vastly different to the vast majority of people who are married. You know, like they've mm. gone through the hard yards, you know, they've, they've gone through the different experiences. And they've been able to find joy in the midst of pain. You know, it's like they've, they've tapped into the gold hidden under the ground. 
Whereas most people, I think, are just content for the simple pleasures, you know, and they never actually discover mm. the real treasure. As, um, as Wesley says in The Princess Bride, life is pain, Highness, and anyone who tells you otherwise is selling something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Best quote in a movie ever. <laughs> and if, if I can bring this back to where we started talking about this idea of refining gold, this is where I'm not going to quote C.S. Lewis, but bring a bit of John of the Cross into it. So St. John of the Cross, his whole... He was inspired by C.S. Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) Who wasn't born yet. (laughs) How often have you been inspired by someone who's not going to be born for 500 years, Sam? (laughs) Uh, Who knows? (laughs) John John of the Cross. John of the Cross had this whole theology, which was about purification. And, and, you know, without going into the whole story, he suffered terribly and yet was able to encounter the love of God in the place where he was virtually at the point of despair, you know, the darkest possible place. He discovered the light in that place. And so he then goes on and creates this whole theology to show how God is destined you for the greatest glory, like something beyond you can ever comprehend. And so he is constantly purifying you. He's constantly trying to strip away all that junk which comes to the top of the, the refinery. You know, when, they're, when they're melting the gold, all the impurities come to the surface and then God's scraping it away. But, but the key thing is it's the gold that is melted by the fire and the impurities stay solid. So the, it's the very points in your life when you think you're melting, you're, you, know, you can't handle it anymore. That's actually when God is refining you. And if you can just persevere and hold on to that and just say, God, I trust you're doing something here. God's going to do the work. He's the one who's going to purify you until the, every last thing has been torn out of you. Mm. Yeah. So he that, says, therefore, my Lord, teach me to love as you wish, wish to be loved. Mm. And I looked this opposed, up earlier. As opposed to how I want to love you. <laughs> yes. I looked this up earlier, but it ties in very nicely with what you've just said, Father Dave, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's actually verses 11 to 15, but I'm going to just go into the middle of it here. Now, if anyone if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, the day being the day of judgment, because it will be re- revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Mm. There is a, a purification, and there's a purification there that, that is unavoidable. It's not that we can simply opt out and veto around or something. We are headed in that direction. Mm. Probably yeah. better if we've got that option of choosing that that discipline in order to love better, not just for the sake of being disciplined, mm. but in order to love that we do that now. Sooner the better. Happen, it's going to happen one way or the other. Mm. Yeah, I think sometimes if people like have this Lord. idea that holiness is optional and God's just got to love me as I am. Whereas actually God's got a whole agenda for your life and he's going to do everything he can to bring that about, whether you want it or not. You know, so if you're in love with, if you're basically turning creation into a God, 
he's going to take that away from you. You know, it's a little bit like, again, like a child who is obsessed with their toy and refuses to grow up. And sometimes the parent just has to take the toy away from them and there will be tears. And much gnashing and grinding of teeth. <laughs> yep. There's times in your life where disasters happen. And it's not that God has made those disasters happen, but he's going to use them as part of his agenda, you know, so that you can step away from all these other loves. And I think one of the most beautiful adversities that I see around me, and I am not speaking from personal experience, nor would Father Dave, but Marty, you can either vouch or deny this, but that of children, the adversity of a newborn child who hopefully melts your heart, but at the same time completely destroys your sleep pattern. Children, children are amazing. You, um, you're this yeah, little person that you're now totally responsible for who, despite what you might think you serve for decades, in order to try and help them be the fullness of who they can be. Yeah, it's certainly not the other way around. <laughs> you try to say to your children, you should love God. And in the background, you hear God saying, so should you. Correct. Mm. Yep. Uh, everything you end up teaching your children, you, I flip back and go, this is, this is exactly what I need to learn from God, you know, on a daily basis. And, and every day you're going through a purification, like you're having to make a decision to love, even though you want to be selfish and look after your own concerns. Mm. And, you know, that, that's kind of where John of the Cross would say, that's almost like an experience of purgatory. The pain you're experiencing there is actually all of this impurity being stripped away mm. you know and over time you become more loving mm. well shall we shall we cue the music I, I feel like i can hear it already yeah i can too yeah there it is <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing how you guys do that <laughs> uh, thank you so much for this conversation and by the way i, I want to say this because it does time with the podcast really is i want to thank both of you for the conversations I've been able to have with you in private about struggles and just how important it is to have people who you can be open with and have deep conversation where you're not shielding anything, you're bringing it into the open. So thank you for your friendship. Your, not quite your as godly... into the open as broadcasting it, but you know. No, no. <laughs> your, your godly friendship. That'll be part two of this podcast. <laughs> Sam's confessions. <laughs> I, just shan't, I, I shall not... Stop There's recording. A book in that. <laughs> <laughs> now the Father and the Son, and the, the, Holy, Son, Spirit. the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts of your gifts to us, of ourselves, of our our sexuality. I'd like to ask you for your special blessing on everyone listening to us, for the singles, for the marrieds and the consecrated, that you would continue your work in all of our lives and that you would draw us down the road to you and to make us yours and to make us wholly yours and to make us only yours. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we just pray, pray your blessing on us and all those who are listening. The blessing of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Mother most pure and refuge of sinners. Pray for pray us. Pray for us. Two or three occasions I went to say something. And you had one more point. Yes. My yeah, foot, no, I, foot, I, I you didn't yeah. get to your fifth point. I was wondering how many points there were. <laughs> 74thly. <laughs> now, the 77th thing I always say to young people. <laughs> Average point there is 
desperate to get out of the confessional. <laughs> 